Good morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Why do we study the Bible? Why do we study the Bible? Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, I, Paul, keep on being confident of this very thing, that God the Father, who began a good work in you, will keep on perfecting it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And uh, those of us who are church-age believers know the day of Christ Jesus is the rapture of the church, the next event in divine history where all believers in Christ will be plucked off the earth so Satan can have his way with his kingdom. We study the Bible to be inculcated by God with the spiritual wealth that comes to believers in Christ who hear the word of God and regard it as the foundational part of their lives. And my question for you is this. Do you, do you consider the Word of God to be a foundational part of your life? Do you consider this truth to be a foundational part of your life? Because I'll tell you that the truth cuts through all the nonsense. And I certainly do. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He is a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. And he is the uniquely born one, because he is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He's not just a guy. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing in the universe happens without his permission. He is the Jewish Messiah. And the Lord was not sent by God the Father to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He died on a cross to make the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father through the shedding of his blood. And as a result, of his strategic victory at the cross, we are fully and forever forgiven of our sins. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. You heard it right. Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a higher power. He is not only a man who was just a good prophet and a good rabbi and a, and a, and a good person and a good teacher. He is actually deity. He is God. And he created the universe, and there's no one like him. And so, just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. Since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come together to learn about him through the study of his mind, which is the Word of God. And a lot of people think the Bible is just some book that's out of date, and it really needs a revision. The Bible needs no revision. An omnipotent God who has all the power created the Bible so that we would have his written words and his written thoughts to study, and then he has protected that document from infiltration, and there have been a gazillion attempts at infiltration of that document. 
you know, the gospel according to Judas, the gospel according to Thomas. What a bunch of crap. And God has protected his own work from that. The Bible is a lot more up to date today than it was when it was originally written. God has an enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world, and he is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. He doesn't want you to get to know God. He interferes with your chance to know God. He wants you to think that there are a lot of roads that lead to God, and there are a lot of ways to express your uh, feelings about God. And there certainly are. It doesn't mean they're accurate. And that's what you got to check out. Is what, does what you believe to be true, is it true? Because there's a big difference between beliefs and the truth. The word of God is truth. And it keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. As believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ from the moment of salvation. And we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible, you know what, I never get tired of telling you that. I never get tired of talking about Jesus Christ. Never get tired of it. I, I, could, I could probably do that whole opening with my eyes shut. Next week I might try that. I just might try doing it with my eyes shut. Amen? Amen. And just to, for effect, I'll bring a white cane with a little red at the end of it. Just so, you know, you think maybe I can't see a little bit. But I, I, I'd, like, <laughs> I'd like to do that. All right, today's Bible lesson. Spiritual maturity requires the mastery of self-restraint. Spiritual maturity requires the mastery of self-restraint. Do you have any self-restraint? Well, if we're to win the individual race that is our spiritual life, we have to exercise self-control. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 remind us, that our amazing God manifests virtues in believers in union with Christ. Galatians 5.22 says this, the fruit produced by God the Holy Spirit, fruit singular, produced by God the Holy Spirit is unconditional love, joy, and peace towards yourself, patience, kindness, and goodness toward others, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control toward God. Against such virtues, there is no law. The fruit produced by God is a series of unifying qualities that are apparent in believers in Christ who are controlled by the indwelling God, the Holy Spirit. Self-control is a restraint exercised to suppress appetites and longings in our contest against sin. What are those longings and appetites? It's called lust. In the final part of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul makes an interesting comparison as part of his second point in his argument against eating food sacrificed to idols, meat sacrificed to idols. And his advice is just as applicable to believers today as it was to believers in the first century church at Corinth who allowed outside influences to turn them to idolatry. You remember when we started this particular passage, I asked you, what are the idols in your life? When do you engage in idolatry? <laughs> Deacon Denny is shaking his head, I don't have any uh, idols in my life. So just two kids, that's a whole different thing. Anyway, idolatry <laughs> distracts us and them 
from our relationship with God and from important human relationships. In today's lesson, we'll learn how the discipline and self-restraint displayed by an athlete is the same self-control that powers our spiritual growth. All right, let's listen to some music. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God, the Lord, looks at the heart. The heart is the inward appearance. God created you, and he knows you better than you know yourself. Here's the group King and Country to tell you what God only knows.
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for overwhelming us with your patience, which gives us a chance to grow by means of your grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you've forgiven us in the past, forgiveness that lasts forever, a forgiveness for constantly putting the urgent things in our lives, our idols, ahead of our worship of you. Thank you for providing us with the spiritual eyes to see the fruitlessness of these pursuits and for loving us unconditionally as we learn. Father, plant the truth deep in our souls today as we listen to the lesson you have prepared for us and let the lesson fuel our desire to know you and to obey you and to have faith in you. Let the lesson, let the spirit inspire, wait a minute, Let the lesson fuel our desire to love others unconditionally, just as we love ourselves unconditionally. And let the Spirit, inspired by your word, remind us that we have the absolute confidence of a glorious future, hope, for choosing to be a part of your divine plan through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. You didn't say it with me. Say it with me. Amen. Thank you. Today's Bible lesson, spiritual maturity requires the mastery of self-restraint. Spiritual maturity requires the mastery of self-restraint. Satan, the enemy of God and the ruler of this world, contends that the only reason believers in Christ worship God is because he blesses us. He further contends that when any pressure is put on us in this life, we will turn on God. To be sure, many believers in Christ are fair-weather fans who expect God to only offer prosperity without any adversity. That's why guys like Joel Osteen are so attractive to people, because he's just talking about prosperity. That's all people really want to hear about. People just want to hear about if, you know, God's a genie, and if I just rub the lamp, You know, he'll pop out and give me three wishes. Yeah, that's not how God works, actually, and that's not how any great teacher works. Great teachers don't coddle you. Great teachers don't potter puff your butt. Great teachers get in your face. Great teachers put pressure on you, and they put you in circumstances that are way harder than you will be in under normal circumstances. And by the way, by doing that, that's how you learn about who you are And it's certainly how we learn about who we are. Think about the relationships you've been in. Think about the relationships you've been in. When did you know whether it was a relationship or not? Adversity. Something happened in the relationship that was adverse. And then all of a sudden, the real person and the real character of the person surfaces. And it's just amazing to me in situations. I've been in so many situations where... Uh, There were tremendous adversity, like getting stuck on an elevator. And it's just so funny to watch how fast people fall apart in their souls. And it happens instantly. And don't blame them. I mean, there were probably 20 people in this elevator, and the oxygen was going pretty quick. 
you know, it's like what's going on with us now. We're breathing our own carbon dioxide. All those people expelling that carbon dioxide, and we're breathing it. The only good thing about the situation was there was a window behind us so that we could see out and we didn't feel necessarily claustrophobic. But you could just see people falling apart in their souls. And so I'm, you know, I'm the guy. I'm telling everybody, okay, well, I don't know that you guys know this or not, but uh, right here, right where you stand, you can uh, have salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody's kind of looking at me. I'm just kidding, man. I, I don't care, you know. I mean, y'all look like Jehovah's Witnesses to me. I don't want to get jumped, okay? I just want to get out of this elevator. That's the truth of the matter. But it's just funny to see how fast people fall apart. Well, this is what Satan is saying. He's saying as long as, you ble- as, long as people are blessed, as long as they're blessed, then they're going to worship God. But anytime there's any adversity, it's going to be a problem. And I'm sorry... God does not work through prosperity only. He works through prosperity and adversity. And I was just thinking about this. You know, I I had a relationship just before I got married, and I was crazy about this woman, crazy about her. And the whole relationship just fell apart. And I was was sitting in the dark at my house, and I was crying. I was upset. My cousins were calling me. What's wrong? How you doing, man? So distraught. And about a month later, I met the woman that I ended up marrying, had two knucklehead boys with her, and it was awesome. See? It's always darkest before the light. Always darkest before the light. That's the way God works. He gives you the adversity. He gives you the cross before he gives you the crown. Amen? Amen. All right. So stop expecting that everything's going to be easy for you. It isn't going to be easy for you. God gives us things we can't handle. See, all the the powder puff people. Oh, you know, God never gives us anything we can't handle. The hell he doesn't. He gives us a lot of stuff that we have no idea how to handle. Why? Because when you have stuff that you don't know how to handle... And then you handle it, then all of a sudden you know how to handle it. Amen? Amen. Stop thinking so much. Y'all are all up in your head going through all your, your, your experiences that have been like that. There are a lot of them. You're in one right now. If you're married, you're in a circumstance you can't handle. <laughs> you can't own marriage. Everybody thinks, oh, I got this down. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's tough. All of us have these situations. Now, you'll remember last week, we began the lesson with an encouraging story. And that's one of the things that I'm doing uh, now that's a little different than normal. I, I, I want you guys to be encouraged because of what we're going through in the world. And so we use the encouraging story, a story from the life of Job, a believer in Christ, from Job chapter 1. Yes? You have your hand up? Yes? Uh, Pastor, I don't think it was very encouraging that the guy, all the guy's kids were killed and uh, there was a, a tornado and, <laughs> and he lost all of his possessions. I don't think that was encouraging. The encouraging part of the story was the end. All right. So what happened is the Lord allowed Satan to take all of Job's possessions and to kill all of Job's children. Adversity that most of us will never experience. And what was Job's reaction to this calamity in his life? 
Job chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, he said this. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall be when I die. Man, you are dust, and to dust you shall return, the Bible says. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And what did Job say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan had said, no, if you take away his possessions and his kids, if you touch him like that, you give him some adversity, he's going to curse you to your face. Job didn't do that. He didn't do it at all. Now, here's the question I have for you. If all your kids were killed and all your possessions were taken away, would you react the way Job did? Would you say, hey, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you say that? I wouldn't. I'd say, I ain't going by no freeway and hold up nobody's sign trying to get money. I tell God, you better get me something. You better get uh, the kids. You can have them. I don't care. <laughs> but you better get me some money up. In- <laughs> That's right. You better get me some money up in here. I got to eat. So we wouldn't react the same way. Look, when there's calamity in your life, like the calamity you're experiencing right now, you're wearing a mask and breathing your own carbon dioxide in fear of an allegedly deadly and invisible virus, a calamity you did not incite, a calamity the likes of which you have never known, and maybe you can't work, maybe you have to work from home, I would never want to live in the state of California. What that government, (laughs) yes, right, what that governor of California is doing to the citizens of California, it borders on criminal. It's criminal. Criminal. First, they tax them out the wazoo, and then they're not letting them work. What are you supposed to do? And then they're fining them if you do work. That's crazy. That's crazy. So this is the real situation that's happening in a lot of states for real people. Maybe you have to work from home. The worst thing that ever happened to mankind. Maybe you got to homeschool your kids. The worst thing that ever happened to mankind. Parents are not equipped to homeschool anybody. Even the homeschool parents aren't equipped to homeschool. Most of them. Yeah, that's right. It's horrible. And it's most horrible for the kids. Because <laughs> they got to hear their parents' tone all day, and the parent has this tone like, I, I would really like to kill you, but it's illegal. You're being encouraged to socially distance yourself from others. You are sheltered in place. Your freedoms are systematically being stolen from you with your permission. You're being warned constantly that you are unsafe and unhealthy. Be safe. Be healthy. And during this calamity, during this adversity, and other calamities in your life, my question for you is this. Do you trust the Lord? Do you have faith in the Lord? Well, Job did. So after learning that his accusation against Job was false. Did Satan learn his lesson? Did Satan admit that he was wrong? Hardly. He did what all creatures do when their mind is made up. They are not going to be confused with the facts. We see this every day in the accusations against the President of the United States, don't we? No matter what this guy does, he is wrong. And this Satan-inspired attack against our President is reminiscent of Satan's approach to the destruction of everything he touches. That was his whole purpose with Job. 
I just want to destroy him to prove my point. And in his attempt to, instroy, to destroy Job, he didn't prove his point. And it didn't change him at all. And that's what I see when interacting with people. I, ask people who ask, I talk to people who hate Trump. Tell me one good thing the guy has done. Well, uh, you know, uh, 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 that's not even right. That's not objective. A broken clock's right twice a day. And this isn't politics I'm talking about. This is objectivity and fairness. Just objectivity and fairness. And we do that. We do that with our friends. We do the same thing with our friends. We get a viewpoint about a friend, and then it all becomes one-sided. What I think is true, and if any evidence comes to contradict what you believe, you're going to ignore it. There are two sides to every story. That's not even right. Well, let's listen to the next part of Job's story. In Job chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And let's be encouraged by his faith in the Lord. Job chapter 2, verse 1. By the way, yeah, I didn't show you that. Through all of this stuff, Job didn't sin or did he blame God. Through losing his kids and losing his fortune, he didn't sin nor did he blame God. All right, Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, the Benihah Elohim, that's, that was the name for the angels, the Benihah Elohim, the sons of Elohim, came, and Elohim, by the way, is the Lord, God the Son, and that's his Hebrew name, came to present themselves before the Lord, God the Son, their creator. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Job chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming around on the earth, my planet, and walking around on it. Job chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. He's a blameless and upright man. That means he's a believer in Christ, respecting God and turning away from evil. That's what believers in Christ do. And Job still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him without any reason to ruin him without cause. That's God's way of saying Job did not deserve the suffering that he got. Job chapter 2 verse 4. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yeah, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. What Satan is saying is that Job gladly gave his children's lives, skin, to save his own life, skin. Thus the expression skin for skin. That's what it meant. And it was, a, it was a marketplace term. I'll trade you this skin, you give me that skin. He was saying that Job is coin-operated. That, yeah, I'll give up my kids, I'll give up all my possessions, just don't hurt my, take my life. Job chapter 2, verse 5. However, the Lord continues speaking. However, put forth your... Uh, no, this is, this is uh, Satan speaking. He says, however, put forth your hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, in other words, his health, and Job will curse you to your face. Satan's contention is, yeah, we just picked the wrong thing. Okay, so he doesn't have a weakness with his kids. So his ten kids dying didn't bother him. He doesn't have a weakness with losing millions of dollars, or shekels, or whatever the monetary unit was in uh, at that time. But you take his health away, 
he'll definitely curse you to your face. Satan is incorrigible. He can't be corrected, can't be reformed. His arrogance is on lock. And no matter what the evidence, he will not acknowledge the error of his ways. By the way, do you know that about 90% of Christians don't believe that Satan exists? Do you, do you understand that Christians have gotten so weak and so believe the propaganda of the world that they don't even think Satan exists, that God doesn't have an enemy somehow? Absolutely insane. Yeah, that's a scratched record for sure. Satan is the personification of arrogance. Satan is a being. He is not a concept. Now, you know this because you have friends and family members who are inspired inspired by this pattern of thought and conduct. Right? No matter what you say to some of your family members and some of your friends, no matter what evidence you present them, they will reject that and they will keep their viewpoint. Okay. And I can sniff that, that stuff out in five minutes. And, you know, when I was a young man, I wanted to fight about that. As an older man, I just disengaged from that stupidity. Okay, you're not going to change your mind. You're not going to be persuaded by the facts. So, hey, pass me some, pass me some of that uh, peach gobbler, will you? <laughs> Let me eat. I'm not listening to this crap. Not listening to it. All right, Job chapter 2, verse 6. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, Job is in your power. Only spare his life. You want to harm his health? Harm his health. Just don't take his life. Okay, so Job chapter 2, verse 7, we see how Satan operates. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore, sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job's disease had these symptoms. Inflammation, inflamed ulcerous sores, itching, degenerative changes in facial skin, loss of appetite, depression, loss of strength, boils, worms in the boils, oozing sores, difficulty in breathing, COVID, darkness under the eyes, foul breath, loss of weight, continual pain, restlessness, blackened skin, peeling skin, and fever. He was a mess. Satan didn't give him one thing. He gave him about 15 things. Job chapter 2, verse 8. And Job took a pot's herd, which is a broken pottery fragment, to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. And sitting among the ashes was something people would do if they had boils because the ashes were soothing to the skin. Here's what, if you're watching... Here's what a pot's herd looks like. It's a broken pottery fragment. So imagine that, that you know what pottery is like. You break it, and now you're scraping your skin with a piece of pottery. That's, the, the boils are painful enough, but that's even more painful. Job chapter 2, verse 9. Then Job's wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? In other words, forget your integrity. Curse God. And then die. And what is she saying? If you yell at God, if you get mad at God, he's going to kill you. That's what you should do so you don't have to go through all of this misery with this disease. And what does Job say? Satan said he was going to fall apart. Satan said he was going to curse God to his face. 
What did Job say? Job 2.10. He said to his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. That was, that was so good because he was soft on the person but tough on the issue. You speak as if you are one of the foolish women. And that's a woman who is spiritually ignorant. Shall we indeed accept good from God, prosperity, and not accept adversity from God? And in all this adversity, Job did not sin with his lips. All right, Satan's wrong again. God's prediction was true and accurate, just as it always is. Satan's prediction was a lie and wrong, just as it always is. So no matter what you're experiencing in the world right now, just know that God is on your side, believers in Christ, and that his promises to you will be fulfilled. As Christians, we accept the blessings that God has for us. More importantly, we accept the adversity God has for us because we know this adversity is God's spiritual gymnasium and adversity prepares us to fight the good fight of faith. And see, here's the thing that kills me about Christians. We think in our heart of hearts that one day the adversity is going to be gone. (laughs) Oh, God, please take this adversity away from me. Please. It's so hard. We think it's going to be gone. It's not going to be gone. God's not going to. God got you a membership to the spiritual gymnasium, and he's going to drag your butt there every day. You ain't getting no breaks. You're not going to get a day off. Every day. Why? Why does he do that? Is he just mean? He's toughening you up. He's toughening you up. And that's what we need. We need to be tough. We need to be able to stand on an elevator with 20 people blowing their bad breath in our face, sucking all the oxygen out of the elevator and blowing carbon dioxide in it and tell them, hey, have you heard about Jesus Christ? Amen? With a crazed look in your eyes. Because <laughs> some of y'all ain't going to make it at this elevator because when the oxygen gets real low, I'm taking your oxygen. Not sacrificing myself. He's not going to stop taking you to the gym. So just get used to it in your head. Stop trying to live on easy street. He takes us to the spiritual gymnasium because he's preparing us for the good fight of faith. And he wants us to, to place our confidence in him. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Larry, I was telling you about this before the lesson. You even have to look it up. Here it is right here, my friend. Because <laughs> Larry's going through a lot of physical adversity right now, a lot of pain. He's a smiler, you know, but he's hurting. He's been hurting for a long time. But the encouraging thing is he saw June, right? Right, June for the last year has been doing down goes Frazier. She's been falling down and everything now. And now all of a sudden she's walking around doing laps around the place before she was falling down. Do you remember that? How about last, what what is it, earlier this year? I had the choking incident, right? 
Norbert was trying to squeeze my guts out. He wanted to save my life. <laughs> and so Larry's got to be encouraged because I don't choke anymore. June's walking around like she's in her right mind. She isn't, but it seems like it. <laughs> and we know that Larry's going to be delivered too because that's just how God works. He's just amazing that way. All right, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5 say this. We believers in Christ exult. We're ecstatic about our tribulations. We're ecstatic about the adversity God brings us. We're happy to go to the spiritual gymnasium. Why? Knowing the tribulation brings about perseverance. You learn to hang in there. Romans 5, 4. And perseverance brings about proven character. And then all of a sudden, you're somebody that can be counted on in, in a tough situation. And then proven character brings about hope. The absolute confidence that our faith in Christ is justified. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint. God does not disappoint. Larry, do you hear me? It's not going to disappoint you. You are not going to be the first Christian he failed with. Not happening. Because the unconditional love of God the Father has been poured out within our hearts through God the Holy Spirit who was given to us as a pledge of our divine inheritance. And what is our divine inheritance? We are in union with Christ, and we're looked at by God the Father just like he looks at Christ, and everything Christ has, we have also. That's the divine inheritance, and that is absolutely amazing. So we thank Job for an amazing two-chapter lesson on faith. There are many more lessons in Job's 42-chapter story, and if you've never read it, it's a fun read. Read them when you get a chance. Prosperity is not the only indicator of God's blessing. Adversity is equally a blessing from God, and it is equally instructive and equally edifying. We do well to trust God when the evidence and brilliance of his plan is not immediately evident. God works all things together for our good. The present calamity will work out for our good. Wait for him. When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll finish up our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight 
pick 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen and you changed the world well the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose so when i hear that devil start talking to me saying who do you think you are i say i'm, I'm just a nobody Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Spiritual Maturity Requires the Mastery of Self-Restraint. 
Spiritual maturity requires the mastery of self-restraint. Legendary basketball coach, the late John Wooden, once said, you can't have a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. When you give to Barah Ministries, you make it possible for people who can't afford the tools of the spiritual life to have these tools free of charge. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. Good morning. I am indeed Denny Goodall, and I am a deacon for Bra Ministries, and I'm blessed because of that. Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And lately I've been thinking about the Corinthians, how they were just crazy, and they were doing all kinds of stuff. They defiled the church. They kept bad rituals. They, let, they just let stuff go on all the time. And you just wonder... Is that the same thing we do nowadays? And really, it's true. It started, you know, you see it in Genesis, what, 11, the Tower of Babel. They were going crazy back then. Right after Noah just saved everybody, they started going, reverting right back then. So it's, it's happened throughout the Bible. Of just we, do, we really do a lot of stupid things, I think. <clears throat> and I was thinking about it, you know, we, we're always trying to be outside of the box. Let's get outside of the box. And we've gotten outside of the box. And as Christians, we know the truth now. But I think all of a sudden we start looking around and we see that box and we're like, why don't I go stand on that box? And all of a sudden we're on top of that box. So I think we, get, need, to get out of the, we need to get out of the box. We also need to get off the box and not thinking about our, self, our, self, our, our own thoughts and trusting in ourselves too much because we see what happened with the Corinthians. We see what happens in Genesis. We see what happens just out on the street when people left to their, their own devices aren't going to be up to any good. You can see with my children, we'll get them going on some toys, and it's nice, and they're just, you know, they're in the box, and then you come back 10 minutes later, and there's Legos everywhere in the whole room. They're under the bed, they're in the hallway, it's like it exploded, and that's just what left their own devices. They're going to do dumb stuff, and so I was looking at the Bible, and what does the Bible have to say about this? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. Because he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. So we all, all we have to do is walk wisely, and what's that? Obey the truth, obedience, and we'll be delivered. We don't have to do the work, but the world says, let me do it. What is, what is the virus showing us? Oh, i got to wash my hands. i got to wear a mask. i got to do all this stuff. Like, we can control it. We can't control it. God's in control of it, just like everything else. The world wants us to focus on self and think that self is the, is the power. And we're not the power. God is the power. And we can see that in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And so that's what we see at the offering a lot of times. Our own understanding makes it seem like, why would I give you my money? Why would I give you my money? I just earned all this money. And it's true of myself. If I earn a big a big payday and I have a bunch of cash on hand, my first thought is not, oh, I'm going to give it to Barah. <laughs> I'm already thinking, oh, maybe I'll go to the Apple store and get one of those fancy watches. And I was like, oh, it's church today. I should have thought of that first. But it's not what we do. We, don't, we lean on our own understanding, and our beliefs aren't always what's true. So that's why it's so important to support Barah Ministries and support our pastor because this is the truth, and this is the word of God. 
and there's no doubt. So thank you for that, and just remember to always trust in God and trust in his deliverance of us and not us delivering ourselves. So thank you very much. that song. There's none like him. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Spiritual Maturity, requires the mastery of self-restraint. Spiritual maturity requires the mastery of self-restraint. So the passage under study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul introduces the idea that the spiritually mature must forego certain freedoms for the benefit of the immature. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13 says this, Therefore, if food, that is, eating idle meat, causes my brother, a fellow believer in Christ, to stumble, I, Paul, will never eat idle meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives a personal example of his own foregoing of freedom. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, he says, So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 15, But I, Paul, have not taken advantage of any of my rights to receive financial support, 
nor do I write to receive financial support now, for it would be better for me to die than to take anything from you. No man will make my boast of doing this gospel-spreading ministry willingly an empty one. So Paul is very clear as he makes this argument to the Corinthians about what he stands for. Now, we close chapter 9 with a tiny passage that I introduced last week, and I was thinking, do I really need to go over this, or do I, should I just move on to chapter 10? And, and when I really studied it, it was a loud and resounding. This is a little bitty passage with a big punch, and this is not something to be ignored. And that's kind of the funny thing about Corinthians. I think we're probably almost 50 lessons into Corinthians, and we're on chapter 9. But every single passage in the, the book has a series of lessons that are just too big to ignore. So as we close this chapter with a tiny passage, there are some lessons that the passage will, uh, in the passage that will benefit us greatly in the stage of our spiritual journey that we are on. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27 say this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. If you thought God was a wimp, I will tell you he is not. Because what is he saying here? Run to win. I can't tell you how many times I've been coaching where parents will say, oh, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Who's your son? Okay, go find another team. Do not want your son on my team. If that's your philosophy, no, we're here to win. We are not here to just play and have social skills. You want social skills? Go to a party. Yeah, I'm going to teach your kids social skills first and competitive skills second, and I'm going to teach them how to put them all together to win. That's what we're doing here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 says this. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. What is that? Restraint, abstinence in all things. They do it, they do it only to receive a perishable wreath. There was a wreath of pine cones, a wreath of pine branches. But we, Christians, do it to receive an imperishable, eternal wreath, our reward from God. 1 Corinthians 9.26 Therefore I, Paul, run in such a way as not without aim. I run with a purpose instead of being blown about by every wind. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I'm not shadow boxing. I box to knock out my opponent. 1 Corinthians 9.27, and I discipline my body and make it my slave through strict training so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified. Now, you, you hear a passage like this and you say, oh, man, that's harsh. There's, there's a race. Only one person wins the race and you can be disqualified. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought we had eternal security. So how can we be disqualified after we believe in Christ? Aren't we saved? But this seems to be saying there's only one prize, so we're competing with other believers, and, 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 and my God, I can be disqualified from the race. All right, so if that's your fear, let your first fear be realized. That's exactly what the passage is saying. 
Just kidding. <laughs> but it, doesn't that happen to you? Don't you hear stuff like this and on the face of it just kind of panic a little bit inside? Like, is my eternal security really in jeopardy? But you should. Yeah, that would be horrible. All right, so let me tell you what's going on in this passage. As believers in Christ in this stage of divine history, which is called the church age, collectively, we have the victory. What does that mean? We're going to heaven when we die, and there's no question about it. We will live with the Lord forever, and there's no question about it. And we are eternally secure, and there is no question about it. John ten twenty eight. I give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will sever them from me. All right, so that's the issue. Collectively, we're good. However, each of us has our own spiritual life. And Paul compares it here to running a race. The question is, how well are you running your individual race? Collectively, you're set. But how are you running your individual race? Let's face it. Most believers in Christ have abandoned their spiritual lives. I can't tell you how many believers in Christ I know who have said, thanks for salvation, God. I'll take it from here. See you in heaven. And you know what? They're going to heaven. But their individual race has been abandoned. Not only are they not going to finish their individual race, they aren't even running it. They're sitting in the sideline, uh, in, in the stands of life. And what happens when you're sitting in the stands of life? You start wearing your mask, and you don't like it, but then you start wearing your mask, and then you start getting condescending and looking at everybody, oh, his mask is below his nose. You know, now you now you start taking it on that you should be the police for everybody else's mask and you get scared of the invisible covid virus that your body has been handling since you have been born. That's what happens. And there are a lot of believers in Christ who are sitting in the stands and when they're sitting in the stands, that's when they get phony and they are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. So how's your life? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm anointed. I'm blessed. And the phoniness takes over. Why? Because they don't know who Jesus Christ is. You ask them, well, tell me something about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. Jesus Christ died for my sins. Okay, you're tapped out. Keep going. Tell me something else. Huh? (laughs) Well, wait a minute. You got your best friend, you know more than two things about him. You got a human best friend, you know more than two things about him. Yeah, I I got bad breath. Yeah, I, I get it. Probably one of Job's buddies, right? So we know more about human beings than we know about the person who created us. Why? Because we're not studying the Word of God. We don't know what He thinks, we don't know how He feels, we don't know that He feels. We don't know how he looks at us. And so then we start making stuff up. I bet you God is so disappointed with me. (laughs) I don't see how God could love me that way. If you listen to all the Christian songs, that's the way they sound. 
you know, not all of them, a lot of them, they, they just sound like, I can't believe that God would save a wretch like me. Why? You can't believe it because you don't know anything about him. Because if you understood that he loved you unconditionally, if you understood that you're in union with Christ from the moment of salvation, if you understood that God the Father looks at you just like he looks at Jesus Christ, if you understood that you are an heir, a child of God, the child of a king who's going to inherit an inheritance that will blow your mind that you couldn't even imagine if you tried right now, you wouldn't be such a wimp. But that's the, that's the punishment, self-inflicted, not God-inflicted, self-inflicted, when we don't bother to get to know the Word of God. And then we start making stuff up. We start getting way too close to the Bible when we're reading it and putting our hands in the air and going down to the altar and making public confessions and talking about in our testimony. Oh, when, when I, it was a, a, a cold and rainy day and I had had too much wine and God found me. Whatever. Whatever. Okay, if that's what happened with, with you, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't mean to make fun. But <laughs> I, I was saved by an, a guy on an ice cream truck through the mail. A mail order salvation. He sent me questions. I answered. I looked them up in the Bible. I answered him. And then he asked me, do you want to be saved? Yeah, I do. This is God. Yeah, I want that. And that was it. There was nothing profound about it. And then for over the next 50 years, I found out what I did. But there's nothing profound about it. Everybody wants this big profound, well, I just don't feel it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's just nuts. People are nuts. Absolutely nuts. Oh, well, there are 8,000 gods. How in the hell do you worship 8,000 gods? What do you do? How do you do that? There's not even enough time to do that. The 365 days in a year to get through 3,650 of them would take 10 years. How do you get to know 8,000 gods? You can't. So what do you do? You pick out one that you like. What if you picked the wrong one? See, this is the stuff that Satan is selling. And he's selling it now. But what we're seeing in the world is it's all edging down to you only have one choice. Worship me or die. If you don't wear your mask, you cannot fly on this airline. All of Satan's real intentions are coming out right now. No more freedom. You had it. I hope you liked it. But now, this is it. Do this or die. Not interested in his program. So, how are you doing at running your individual race? Let's face it, most believers in Christ have abandoned their spiritual lives. They may pay more attention to television than they do to God or his word or to the spiritual life. Yet television doesn't help us when we face life's calamities. Television doesn't help us. When we face adversity, God and his word do help. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 provide a great deal of encouragement 
in our race. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we believers in Christ have so great a cloud of Old Testament witnesses surrounding us. And remember, the Hebrews was talking to first century believing Jews. Jews who believed in Jesus Christ but who are coming out of the Old Testament Scripture and who are coming out of the Mosaic Law and who are coming out of the age of Israel. Therefore, since we believers in Christ have so great a cloud of Old Testament witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance that is buffeting us from all sides. Again, the race analogy. What happens in a race? You're being buffeted from all sides by your competitors. You're in your lane but they're coming by and you can feel their wind and they're looking at you and they're talking smack and running right by you. Usain Bolt, that's the guy I think about. He's one of the fastest guys ever. He just runs by you and he's talking to you. If that guy actually ran a race and ignored his competitors, he would break every record that you ever thought about seeing in racing. Because Every time he's ending a race, he's kind of jogging over the finish line. Never full speed. The guy is a blur. So let us lay aside every encumbrance buffeting us from all sides and let us lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us and let us keep on running with endurance the race of our lives that is set before us. How do we do that? Hebrews 12.2, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the cross's shame, and has sat down in victory at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. Hebrews 12.3, for keep on thinking of such a person, Jesus Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners, that's unbelievers, against himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in your souls. That is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Hebrews 12, 3. Keep on thinking of such a person, Jesus Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners unto himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in your souls. There is a whole lot of fainting going on among believers in Christ today. And what's the problem you're experiencing right now that's causing you to faint in your soul? Do you expect God to work that problem out together for your good? I do. Or do you think it only matters what you do to orchestrate victory? And that's what I, you know, I I see Christians who have had a, a problem in their life. And let's say the problem relates to kids. Maybe the, 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 the believer has gone through a divorce and now there's always this fight over the kids, right? And you see the situation where there is no co- cooperation from the other side. All right, now it's two years later and what happens? There's no cooperation from the other side. And then it's ten years later and there's no cooperation from the other side. And the believer's going, I just know cooperation's coming one of these days. No, it isn't. It isn't coming. Get a clue. It's not coming. Give the problem to God and relax. 
He will do it. What you can't do, he will do. And one of the things he's really good at is softening up the hearts of stupid people. Amen? So relax. And we have all these things going on in our lives, these problems. We have all these people in our lives. But do we have faith in God to work it out? We're all mad about COVID. We're all mad that we have voluntarily gotten into the cold water and the heat is up and pretty soon we're going to be frog soup and we're mad about it like God doesn't work all things together for good. He said in Romans Chapter 8, verse 28, I will work all things together for your good, including this, parentheses, oh, that wasn't there, including this. Please explain to me what we're worried about. I'm worried about Jack. We, don't, we just don't like it. I don't like wearing a mask. It ain't Halloween. Amen? October 31st is coming, I'll wear a mask. Right now, I don't want to wear a mask. It's really ruined my life, honestly. Because here's what I love. So I spent a lot of time in hotels, right? So I'll be standing at the elevator, and there'll be a woman standing at the elevator. And then the door opens, and I'll walk in, and all of a sudden the woman is fumbling in her purse for her keys. Now, she's been standing there for three minutes. And then all of a sudden, when the elevator comes, she starts fumbling in there. She thinks, I don't know what's happening. She don't want to get on the elevator with the brother. I get it. I get it. Now with a mask on? <laughs> I got one bit of chance. No chance. I didn't have a chance before. Now I have no chance with a mask on. Amen? This is, this is our life. It's just so funny to me. It's so funny to me. Now, I don't, I don't hold that against women. I get it that I'm not a woman, so I don't think of safety the, the same way women have to think about safety. So I get that. I do. But, I mean, when somebody's standing by you as charming as me, how, how, how do you even get scared? Amen? Amen. <laughs> All the women in here say, I ain't amen in that. I ain't amen in that. You ain't charming. Just teach. <laughs> okay, ladies. I'm going to go right back to the lesson right here. <laughs> so look. God works all things together for good. He will orchestrate your victory. I see a lot of believers displaying this mental checklist in their head about all the things God ought to do as if they know best how to work out the unique circumstances of their problems. We have a God who knows us. You don't know yourself as well as God knows you. You don't know what you need as well as God knows it. Now, that doesn't take you off the hook for living your life, but the one who created you knows you. How about if you step out of his way and let him work things out for you. Here's what he wants to know from you. What are the desires of your heart? He can't orchestrate that for you. He's, he's giving you choice. Tell him what you want. 
and watch him orchestrate it. Watch him do things you can't do. But the flesh in us demands pleasures and privileges. I had a believer in Christ tell me this week uh, uh, about the malady called me time. He doesn't like work. He just wants the me time. What does that even mean? I need some me time. You need to be hitting the head with a hammer. Uh, That's what you need. Hitting the head with a tack hammer. Because what is that all about? The flesh in us demands immediacy. We want everything now. But spiritual maturity requires the mastery of self-restraint and self-control. And self-control requires delaying gratification. When I talk to people about their career, and I say, well, you know, I started my career at 25 years old. And my goal was that by 35 years old, I would be competent. And so every two years, I mastered something so that by 35, I had five things mastered. And those things in combination made me very employable. I learned how how to generate new business. I learned how to work in ad agencies. I learned how to manage people. I learned how to lead. I learned how to be an entrepreneur. By the time I was 35, I was ready to begin starting my own business. But it took 10 years. And then, so that 10 years is sort of like this. You know, it's a very slow ascent. But then after 10 years, you boom, you take off like a rocket. Everything becomes exponential after that. But people aren't willing to put in the 10 years of work for an exponential change. People aren't re- willing to talk about and decide on what they love early. I knew what I loved early. I knew at 21 years old, I knew a teacher is who I am. I knew it. I just had to decide what to teach. Because I wasn't going to be a college professor making 35 grand a year and having to write two books a year to keep my job. No. So I had to find out, okay, I want to teach. What do I want to teach? Okay, I want to teach sales. I want to teach the Word of God. But in the sales realm, who pays people a lot of money to teach sales? Everybody. That's how you become marketable. You ask, what's the marketplace willing to pay for? And then you do that. But imagine what that was like from 25 to 35. All my friends, hey, you want to go to the bar? You want to go party? No, I ain't got no time for that. I got a book to read. Read every book, listen to every tape on sales. What's that called? Self-restraint. What's it called? Self-control. Do the work. Restraint. What is it? Voluntarily holding back from action. Voluntarily holding back from going to the bar. Voluntarily being in check. Being under control. A voluntary deprivation of liberties. I had the right to go to the bar. I know how to drink the stuff that's served at the bar. I had the money to pay for the stuff that's at the bar. I was asking myself, if I drink for the next 10 years, what's that going to get me? 
Hi, I'm Rory Clark, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Rory. That's not gonna. That's not gonna get me any money. You feel me? Tagging an amen. amen. In other words, for those who want to win their individual races in the spiritual life, everything is not permitted. We love watching athletes complete, compete, yet seldom do we see the rigor they go through to prepare to compete. It's not fair, but their preparation involves self-denial. And I don't mean asceticism. I don't mean self-denial practices that are done to impress other people. Oh, I'm on a fast. I'm on a cleanse. So? Why would you starve yourself? Why would you make your body voluntarily shut itself off from fat burning? Why are you doing that? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. (laughs) I'm very spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm more spiritual. Okay. Great. (laughs) Man. I I just I can't take it anymore. I, I honestly I I see some of the stuff we do as human beings and I'm just like this. What are we doing? What are we doing? But people who are mature choose voluntarily to keep themselves away from the traps of sin and self-indulgence. So in the matter of idol meat The mature avoid it, the immature indulge in it. Isn't that just the way it is in this life? See, the Christian way of living is very much like an athletic contest, and that's what Paul is saying in these four or five short verses. He's saying the athlete does workouts. What kind of workouts? Resistance with weights, aerobics, and stretching, all of which hurt. I went golfing the other day. And, you know, golfing is a twisting motion. And so you got to start twisting to get your body used to twisting because after about three or four holes, your body says, all right, I had enough of this twisting. Right? And you have to keep loosening it up so that it can twist. And do I want to do that? I don't want to do that. I just want to be able to go out and hit without having to do that work. You have to do the work. That's why June is walking around in the circle, because she noticed that her muscles don't grow if she lays around watching The Voice on TV. Amen? (laughs) I mean, because if watching The Voice was an Olympic sport, we got the gold medalist right here. She's standing right up on the top platform and the national anthem's playing. Amen? Ain't no awards for that. The athlete cares for nutrition. And what does that mean? Unfortunately, no Bosa donuts and no most of what Denise makes. Amen? Because <laughs> Denise always putting butter on stuff. Her stuff, is, her stuff is good. It's so good. The athlete braves the elements. You know, not so here in Phoenix, if you want to run now, it's 113 degrees with 22% humidity. It's hot. Oh, that's okay. I run in the morning. It don't matter. The athlete avoids certain pleasurable things like wine, women, and song. 
or wine men in song. The athlete engages in voluntary self-restraint to win the prize. The mature, I don't believe you heard me, the mature do the work to get the prize. The, the immature want the prize without the work, amen? No. See, that's what Satan offered Jesus, wasn't it, in Matthew chapter 4? Hey, man, you've been fasting for 40 days. You're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. You're God. Come on. The Lord said, no, the cross before the crown. No, I won't do that. That's what you did. You want the crown before the cross. No. When we become Christians, we join the collective race. As Christians, we also run an individual race. And the question is this, will you finish your race? Yeah, you didn't feel like getting up and coming here today. Neither did I. I'm watching Queen of the South, and I got through eight episodes yesterday. I wanted to get through eight more today. Amen. It's on Netflix. Okay. Right, just so you know. You ain't got no time for this, June. You're on the, you're on the voice. You don't have time for this. <laughs> Will you finish your race? You didn't feel like coming today. I didn't feel like coming today. But there's a race. I suited up and I came to the race. Why? Because self-control, self-restraint. You deny yourself certain quote-unquote pleasures and longings because you're in a race. Paul says of his own individual race in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. He, Paul is about to die, and he knows he's about to die, and he's writing a pastoral epistle to Timothy. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4.8, And in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to everyone who loved his appearing. Who are the ones who love his appearing? The ones who finish the race. Not the ones who are sitting up in the stands. Not the ones who don't, don't study the word of God. No. The individual race, they're going to flunk. Unlike the Olympic Games, where there's only one prize, though, for the single victor, in God's game, every individual who finishes the race gets a prize. Yet a lot of Christians abandon the race long before it's finished. You know, I, I don't like running. And I was telling a friend of mine this who runs about 100 miles a week. And he said, well, you, you don't like running. I can't even understand that. I love running. I run 100 miles a week. I said, well, you're crazy. He said, well, how many, how many miles do you run? I said, two. He said, that's why you hate running. He said, in the first two miles, your body is going absolutely crazy. Your mind's all over the place. Your body's going, why are you doing this? This is stupid. This hurts. And your mind's going, stop, stop. Go sit down. Go get some rest. Get, go get water. He said, but about five miles in, all that goes away. And it's just, and just smooth. Your mind is quiet. 
your body's adjusted and it's just amazing. I said, you crazy. So I tried it and he was right. And see, that's the Christian way of life. You first started out, you go crazy. I want to eat my idol meat. I still want to eat my idol meat. And why can't I worship 8,000 8, gods? And why? I like what I was doing. We're going to see that next week with the Jews. You know, they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Then they get freed and they go out to the desert and try to turn it right back into slavery. That's what we like doing as human beings. That's what Deacon Denny was talking about during the offering. So Paul pauses in this section of the passage to remind us that as it relates to our individual races as Christians, there are no participation trophies. You don't get the crown of righteousness just because you have on the Christian jersey. You got to finish the race. And what does finishing the race mean? It's just keep putting one foot in front of the other. God's going to edify you all the way down the race. And we got a lot of miles to go before we sleep. We run our races, and God expects us to finish. And finishing means that as we mature, our restraint elevates. As you get older, you want to do a lot less things because you really start to get it that there's some stuff that we do that's just stupid and you stop doing stupid stuff. God engineers stupid stuff out of you and starts to elevate the smart things that you do. We run the race with faith in God, placing our absolute confidence in him, hope in ourselves as a result, and unconditional love for others. And just as importantly, we avoid the trap of sins that so easily entangle us. What, are, what is sin about for the Christian? They're paid for, but they're dumb. Sins hurt you, so don't do it. Don't think that that's good for you. That's what God would say to us. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13 say this. Finally, believers in Christ, be strong in union with the Lord and in the strength of his might. <clears throat> Dunamisvaiya, two of my favorite Greek words, the strength of his might. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Pick up and put on the full armor of God like you're putting on clothing so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Do not attack the devil. Do not rebuke the devil. Do not think you're more powerful than the devil. The devil will laugh at you. He doesn't consider you important. What do you do? Stand firm on the victory ground that you have already been given by God. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle in this life is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Our struggle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. COVID is about a spiritual battle. It's not about a virus. It's about a spiritual conflict between the creator and the creature. It's a war between the Lord Jesus Christ and his enemy, Satan. And we are the pawns in that game. Unless you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're one of the back row folks. You're the rook, 
the bishop, the knight, or the queen. You're worth more points. Amen? Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. As, as a body, we Christians have won. As individuals, let us also win by finishing the race of our spiritual lives that is set before us, by studying the Word of God rather than abandoning it for the shiny distractions of Satan's kingdom that have absolutely no value. And the people in Satan's kingdom who have abandoned their spiritual lives are expert at luring us into abandoning ours and getting despondent and getting down because of all the stupid stuff that they're saying to us. Don't listen to them. Ignore them. You are Teflon. Let it hit. Let it fall off. Do not let it penetrate. You are not Velcro. You are Teflon. No stick to that crap. Okay. The closing moments of our lesson are the most important moments of our lesson because there's a message in this portion of the lesson, and the message is God wants you. If you listen to Barah Ministries, I want you to know how to get to heaven. In the next couple of minutes, I'm going to tell you exactly what you have to do to get to heaven. First and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, the absolute confidence provided by your faith in Christ, and give the defense with gentleness and respect. Second, this message is for unbelievers so you can be saved. And whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. That's bad news for you because sinners need a Savior. The good news is that this gospel message offers you the chance to make the most important decision of your life, the one outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. It says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. We want you to know that God wants you. Well, I have a question for you, though. Is religion the way to be saved? Is religion the way to be saved? Many people believe religion and its rituals are the ticket into heaven. They embrace religious beliefs that tell them how to live a spiritual life. Now, they can't do any of them, but, but they embrace them. The religion claims either that there is a God or there are many gods, but the religion does not discuss how to have a personal relationship with God. In fact, religions propose that if you don't do everything their God expects, he will be quite disappointed with you. And regardless of your best efforts to follow the religious rituals, which you can't do, the religion does not guarantee that following the rituals will get you to heaven. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman whom the Jews wanted nothing to do with. And after a brief introduction, the Lord says to the woman, everyone who drinks of the water in this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, 
the water of the word, the gospel message, shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to the resurrection life. It is the Lord's will for those with whom he has a relationship to live with him in heaven forever when they close their eyes in this life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is good and acceptable in the eyes of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who desires all to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth the Lord wants us to know about how to be saved, about how to get to heaven, is as simple as a nine-word conversation with God the Father. Luke chapter 23, verse 42 and 43 says this, And a thief being crucified next to Jesus was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Just a nine-word conversation with God can get you to heaven. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or if you prefer, it's a five-word conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. Simply believe. Merely take God's word for it regarding what it takes to be saved so that that is the moment of eternal life for you. Well, who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and then he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. And once God saves you, no matter how hard you try, you cannot lose your salvation. John chapter 10, verse 28. The Lord Jesus Christ gives eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of his hand. And anyone who tells you that you can lose your salvation is lying to you. On the other hand, if you reject the relationship offer of this God who does not want you to perish, he will honor your rejection. Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 and 50. So it will be at the end of the age. The elect angels will come forth and take out the wicked, a description of unbelievers, from among the righteous, believers in Christ, and will throw the wicked into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. So follow the advice of Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. It's not religion that gets you to heaven. It's relationship. A relationship with the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, we close with some music. We have parents who at times are disappointed with us. And quite often we are disappointed with ourselves. A clear indication that we don't know how depraved we really are. But an omniscient God who knows all the knowable is never disappointed with us. He knew how depraved you would be before he created you. And he created you anyway. His love for us is unconditional. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this. Therefore, all these things at the end of Romans chapter 7 being the case, we need to remember that there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in union with Christ. Here's June Murphy celebrating our God's love with her song, I Can't Disappoint You. The love of man, you don't give it and take it away. It is in your grace I stand, all your mercies are new every day. You don't make me jump through hoops, I can't do nothing to earn your love. You know me eternally, and your love is unconditional. You won't bring them up to me again You've given me your righteousness Made me perfect, now I'm in your hands You bore all my guilt and shame You're the rock upon which I stand And I can't disappoint you or ever let you down I cannot surprise you, you'll always be around with a doxology of praise to our God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. 
He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because he cares for you. And what he cares for you means is God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for inculcating your word into our souls. We thank you for encouraging us by the story of Job. We thank you for always providing a way for us to win and then going out and and orchestrating that win for us and and making it possible for us to have the life that is the highest and best that you planned for us in eternity past. Just give us the courage to see ourselves the way you see us and to live the life that you planned for us. And we ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.